Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you all this morning. I did want to bring your attention to one other announcement. This Wednesday, we are having youth baptisms, and we are inviting the entire church to come participate and to observe and to see everything that God is doing in and through our youth group. And we're inviting all of the adults, but I'm just going to give you this fair warning. Our end to youth group looks a little different than this. Uh, When you walk in, it's going to be pure chaos, but believe me, God uses chaos. And it's really, really good. And so I would invite you, we will begin our activities at 6.30, um, and baptisms will be a little, we invite you for it all though. We got games, we got worship, we got baptisms, a lesson. We invite you at 6.30 this Wednesday to come see how God uses chaos to present himself to a room full of chaotic teenagers. And it's really, really special. So again, I would just invite you this Wednesday, December 13th, 6.30, uh, feel free to come on out. It will look different, and when it looks different, that means you're in the exact right spot. All throughout our lives, we, whether young or old, we are constantly looking for signs. We constantly ask, well, if God would just give me a sign, I would know that I'm doing the right thing. I remember when I was maybe four or five years old, I would, I would go out into my backyard and I would just ask God, give me a sign of which direction I'm supposed to walk. I took it literally. I wanted God to tell me exactly where I was supposed to go. We look for signs, hoping, wishing that if we could just see that explicit sign, we would know you're on the right track. We place our hope and signs. But it's more than just the Christian world. Secular industry has taken complete advantage of this, knowing that we as humans, we want signs in our life that point us to exactly the place that's going to bring us fulfillment. Hope beyond hope. You know, every year since I've been here, I take our young adults down to Passion Conference, which is in Atlanta. And to get to Atlanta, we take the interstate, I-75, and as we're approaching Atlanta, we see signs after sign after sign after sign, but there's one particular company that has mastered it. And I don't know if you're familiar with the gas station Bucky's at all. I know they're not up here in the north, but if you've ever traveled anywhere in the south, you start seeing signs, billboards for Bucky's. I mean like a hundred miles away from the Bucky's. You see billboards for Bucky's and they go every 10 miles or so, Bucky's, 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 and they promise the best of things. And by the time you get done after driving a hundred miles, you're like, I have to see Bucky's. And then you see it. You're on the interstate and you're driving down. You saw a sign that says, exit here. And you looked right to the right and there it is. Bucky's, the gas station of all gas stations. We're talking about pumps for days, people. There is no waiting. And they promise along the way, billboard after billboard, that they have the cleanest, gas, uh, the cleanest bathrooms. 
So for any of my young adults, when we go down there, if they have to use the restroom within 90 miles, we wait. <laughs> we wait. And let me tell you, the signs, they get you. And they soak you in every 10 miles or so. But believe me, the destination, as we plan this next passion trip, I'm most excited about Bucky's. <laughs> Something is special about Bucky's. You know, we do this all throughout our life. We look for the signs. We identify what we want. In this case, we need a restroom and we need it badly. But we see cleanest restrooms. We're like, all right, that's our destination. And we determine, we look at the tank, we look at the gauge. Okay, do we have enough gas to make sure we get to the Bucky's? We look for signs of hope all throughout our lives. We do this all the time. I mean, when, when I was pursuing my wife, Emily, I was looking for signs that she wasn't going to dump me on the third date. We, we look for signs of hope. We look to the forecast every day, days in advance to determine, can I trust the weather that day? Then we question if we can trust the forecast, but that's another story. Women who are pregnant, they start looking to their bodies to give them signs of when they are going to go into labor. But even then, false labors. We are constantly and continuously looking for signs in our life to let us know we are on the right path, that we are headed in the right direction. These signs, they act as little sparks of hope. When I see that Bucky sign, I have this spark of hope. It's coming. It's coming. But how much more so in our lives, in our Christian lives, in our human lives, are we looking for signs to help us know, hey, you're headed in the right direction. And more importantly, we have to ask ourselves, after we've seen all of these signs, how exactly do we know that we are in the right place? How do we know if we have gotten to the right destination? How do we know that we have reached that final destination? Well, before we even get to the idea of arguing whether we're in the right place or not, we, begin have, to, we have to begin by asking certain questions. What exactly is it that we want? Do we have it with inside of ourselves to actually get there? Is there anything in my life preventing me? So when I, when I do get to that final destination, is there anything in my life that's preventing me from experiencing that final destination? And finally, we can have full assurance that we are in the right spot in our life, the right spot of ultimate hope, ultimate rest, we, that we have found the everlasting spark of hope, not just the temporary sign billboard. We can have faith when we become signs ourselves for that hope, for that rest. How do we know we have reached the final destination? Ultimately and most sincerely is when we become signs for the final destination, when we can't help but tell about Bucky's on a Sunday morning, we know we've reached the gas station of all gas stations. You know, as Christians, as Christians here at this particular church, we, we have this series, uh, He Is. We've titled this entire Advent series, He Is, because we are unashamed to say that Jesus Christ is the final destination for all of our hope. We have identified through the scripture, we read it uh, each week now, um, through Hebrews, we read that Jesus Christ is the final destination for us to get to know God. In fact, it says here 
In Hebrews 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Our goal, what we have been created for, is to know God. This is it. And so we have to determine then what our final destination will be in order to get to know God. And we have claimed him as Jesus. But how do we know for sure? How do we know exactly that Jesus in and of himself is the final place of everlasting hope? You see, the author of Hebrews, he has identified this goal of knowing God. That God has been revealing himself to us, but now it's not simply through signs, it's not through fragmented ways, but it's through one person, Jesus Christ, his son. But he tells us that we can have assurance of this by looking back to the prophets of long ago, by looking back to the Old Testament. They'll look at all the signs, because we know that the final destination has to meet all the criteria that the signs declared but it's so much more than the sign itself. Bucky's isn't great because it's just another sign along the interstate that repeated everything that the other signs had to say. Bucky's is great because it matches everything that the signs had in store, but is yet so much greater than the sign itself. We know that we have reached the final destination within our faith where we're to place our hope when the final destination, Jesus Christ, matches everything that the signs declared and yet is so much more. Today, I hope, as we go back to the Old Testament, as we discuss a particular sign, one sign, but in my opinion, the greatest of signs, I hope that as we discuss this story, the story of Joseph from the Old Testament, I hope we'll see that God has made it so incredibly clear that he wants us to know him. More clear than a hundred billboards or billboards for a hundred miles. He has, made it inex- he has made it explicitly evident that there is a way, there, there is a person through whom we can place our final resting hope to know God. And so today we're going to be all throughout the book of Genesis. Starting in chapter 30, we see the story of Joseph begin. Now, you'll have to forgive me. The story of Joseph lasts for like 20-some chapters. We're not going to go through 20-some chapters today. So we're not going to see a whole bunch of scripture up there. Um, But don't take my word for it. I would encourage you, this week, would you walk through the story of Joseph? Start in Genesis chapter 30, and you'll, I'll see, you'll see some references up there later on. But as we dive in, as we look to what is this sign pointing us to Jesus, we need to know the story of Joseph. And it begins in knowing that he is the son of Jacob. Jacob is also known as Israel. He is the father of the Israelites. Yes, the Israelites today, the Jews of today, he is the father, Jacob is. And Jacob would go on to have 12 sons. The 11th born is Joseph. Now Joseph, he was born to Jacob in Jacob's old age by Jacob's favorite wife. Now that's an entirely different sermon in and of itself. His favorite wife gave birth to Joseph in Jacob's old age. 
One of the things we know about this, this relationship that Jacob would have with Joseph, is that Jacob did not hide the fact that Joseph was his favorite. You've heard of Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat. Jacob gave this, this garment to Joseph and basically shoved it in the faces of the ten older brothers saying, Joseph is my favorite. Well, you can imagine how that went down with the older brothers. They despised Joseph. They rejected him. There were even moments and times in Joseph's childhood where he was being given special revelation by God himself and he would go and tell his older brothers, even his dad, about these special revelations. And so not only does he have this special privilege of being the dad's favorite, but now he's getting these special dreams from God? No, the older brothers were having none of it. So one day, as the older brothers were out tending to the flocks, Jacob sent Joseph to go get a report. Now, come on. You just want to look at Jacob and be like, Jacob, were you thinking, man? This is the, the least favorite of all the brothers, and you're going to send Joseph to get, a, to get a report of the ten older brothers? This is not going to end well for the baby brother. The brothers are off doing who knows what, and they see Joseph coming from afar, and they've had it. They know old daddy has sent Jacob to come narc on him for whatever is going on. So nine of the ten of them, Nine out of the ten older brothers make it a point saying, we're going to kill him. We're done with him. We got a great excuse. He's out here traveling, wandering in the wilderness. We're going to kill him. and We're going to say it was a wild animal. We're done with this kid. He's annoying. He's a brat. We done. Nine of the ten. One of the ten, though, it's like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Don't kill him. And he devises a plan, says, hey, how about you just throw him into this well right here? And all the while, the, the one, he was thinking to himself, I'll, I'll save him later. Well, these others, though, he's like, okay, fine. We'll dump him into this pit. And lo and behold, there comes a, 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 another nationality, another ethnic group traveling, and they're buying slaves. And like, hey, actually, instead of killing him, why don't we, just, why don't we gain something from this? We're going to sell him into slavery to the Ishmaelites, to the Midianites, to this camp of people traveling. We're going to sell him. And they did. They sold him for silver. They sold him into slavery. And before we know it, Joseph ends up in Egypt. He's working for an officer of Pharaoh himself. Now, so Joseph goes from being dad's favorite to being sold into slavery. He's working under an officer of Pharaoh himself, and the Lord is with him. You might be thinking to yourself, how in the world is the Lord with him? He was just sold by his brothers into slavery. No, no, no. The Lord has remained with Joseph, and he's actually blessed everything that Joseph has done while working as a slave in Egypt. So much so that Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, he places his entire, his entire estate in control of Joseph. That's how much he trusts him. And Joseph, he is successful, and he's a good-looking man. Next thing you know, Potiphar's wife takes notice, and she goes all out, day after day, time and again, again and again. She tries seducing him. She wants him for herself, but in the midst of this great temptation, Joseph resists. He says, how can I bring shame to my God? Remember this. He's asking himself, how, he's looking at Potiphar's, how can I bring shame to my God? He hasn't given up hope. Yeah, he was sold by his brothers into slavery. He's now working as a slave in Egypt, but he still goes back and says, how can I bring shame to my 
God. And so eventually, this frustrates Potiphar's wife, and she cries rape. She gets his garment and goes to Potiphar and says, look what this man tried to do to me. And so now, Joseph, he's once been sold into slavery. Now he worked himself back up. The Lord was there. Now he's being accused of rape, and he gets sent back down to prison. And this isn't just any prison. This is, this is I mean, he's a, he's a foreigner, a slave, and now he's in prison. The body, he's, he's might, he might as well be considered dead. But the Lord is with him. And again, you ask, how is the Lord with him? His circumstances do not show the blessing of God, but the Lord is with him. The scripture says the Lord continued to bless him. And next thing you know, Joseph works his way up in this prison. So much so that all of a sudden his abilities, just like when he was a little kid, these revelations, this ability to interpret dreams becomes known. Becomes known to Pharaoh himself. So when Pharaoh begins having these troubling dreams, he finds out about this slave who's running this prison. He says, let's hear him. Joseph interprets the dreams correctly. And in the midst of correct or interpreting these dreams, Pharaoh's like, is there anyone in this world who can do what he just did? And there isn't. So Joseph, going from daddy's favorite to being sold into slavery to going into prison and now working himself back up to having control over this prison, Pharaoh looks at him and says, there is no one else like you. I want you as my number two. I want you to have complete control over my kingdom. There is no one except for myself who is above you. No one is equal to you. And Joseph By the time he was risen back to power, when he was given this power, he was 30 years old. There ended up becoming uh, uh, a drought and a famine in in all of the land, Egypt and all across the world, a severe famine, so much so that Jacob, who him and his family are up north, they have to then send their sons, the 10 older sons, yeah, the ones who sold them into slavery, to Egypt to get some food. To get some resources. And us as the readers, we're like, all right, Joseph's gonna get some payback. Oh man, he was sold into slavery by these 10 older brothers, and now the brothers are gonna come begging for food. This is gonna be good. Man, there's gonna be vindication. It's gonna be justice served on a platter. Wouldn't you know it? That after a couple of rounds, Joseph offers complete forgiveness to his brothers. That's what the readers were like, come on! That's no fun! We wanted to see vindication! We wanted to see Joseph give his brothers what they deserved! And by the end of the story, Joseph not only offers complete forgiveness to his brothers, he is able to save his entire family and save the world. And he looks to his brothers. His brothers are pretty nervous. His brothers are pretty scared. What is Joseph going to do? He's ruler of the world, basically. He could do anything to us. And Joseph just looks at him and he says, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. And through me, the world is saved. Now we've just learned a brief synopsis, 20 chapters worth. Please go back and read it. It's an amazing story. We've learned the story of Joseph. And we're told that the Old Testament is full of signs, full of billboards pointing, hey, 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 wait, the Messiah is coming. Hey, the Messiah is coming. Hey, the Messiah is 
coming. In order to understand what we want, in order to identify the final destination, in order to know the final goal, we must be familiar with Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that we have to understand everything. I'm not saying that we aren't going to get bored by it. I'm saying that when we begin to understand Scripture, we begin to know what it is we need to look for. And not in the sense that all of a sudden, by knowing the story of Joseph, we then understand every attribute the Messiah is going to have or who Jesus was going to be. But all of a sudden, in the same way that, have any of you ever bought a car that you've never seen before, but the minute you buy that car, all of a sudden they're everywhere? Well, in the same way that as we get to know Scripture, as we begin to know that there are signs and fulfillments to be had all throughout the Old Testament, we then begin seeing them everywhere. The more we know Scripture, the more we begin to understand, wait a minute, I see it, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. This is what knowledge of the story of Joseph does for us. The story of Joseph acts as this billboard. We begin gravitating to all of these other signs and billboards throughout the Old Testament that declare Jesus is coming. So now that we have the story of Joseph, we have to ask ourselves, what exactly does this mean for us today? I mean, we don't care, right? We don't care. This was the story for the Jews. This was the story for the Israelites of that day. But the fact is, we too must learn what the Old Testament has for us so that we can have full assurance that Jesus is who he says he is. So we look at the markers of Joseph. I have these listed out for us today. I, I Forgive me for them being so small, but here you can see the different scriptural references all throughout Genesis. Joseph was the miracle child born of a, of a mother who had been barren for years, born in Jacob's old age. He was rejected and disliked by his brothers. He was betrayed for silver, entered into slavery, imprisoned, falsely was dead to his father. Jacob literally said, hey, my son who is dead, and we'll get to that later. But then he rose to power. He was second only to Pharaoh. He offered complete forgiveness. He brings his family into this new kingdom. He was 30 years old when it all happened. And finally, and most importantly, he saves the world from starvation. These, imagine, are 12 different billboards that Joseph embodies. Now maybe some of, some of you are already looking ahead and you're like, yep, I know exactly what's going to happen now. Now I'm not saying that when we look to Joseph, when the Israelites would look to Joseph, they weren't saying, okay, the Messiah is going to be everything of this. Or when they walk through the Old Testament, they're looking for everything specifically, but they would begin gravitating towards this idea, hey, my Messiah is going to be even greater than the Joseph of Genesis. And they would begin looking for different identity markers, saying, that's what I'm looking for. This is who my, my Messiah is going to be. But here's the great thing. For us today, all of the signs are before us. We have all of Scripture. And we have the author of Hebrews telling us, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. But don't just take my word for it. Go back and see every single sign that is before you to determine and how do we know that Jesus is the final destination? Well, like we said before, when the final destination matches everything that the billboards had before and is so much more. So work with me here. 
when we're then looking to the billboard of Joseph and then looking at the final destination declared as Jesus, we then see, did Jesus fulfill the markers of Joseph? And I'm going to tell you right here, I have listed 12, but there are so many more. So many more. I didn't go looking into all uh, dozens of commentators. These were just from the surface. And a, a knowledge of Scripture then allows me to then look at this and say, wait a minute, I recognize this, I recognize this, I recognize this. These are the markers. Look at this. Jesus himself, born of a virgin, the miracle child. The miracle child. So it's like taking a step above where Joseph came from. Matches yet so much greater. Rejected by his own, John 1 tells us that Jesus came into the world and was rejected, despised. He was betrayed for silver. He entered into our slavery. If we would read Romans 6, we know that Christ entered into our slavery so that we would be sins no longer. We see that Jesus was imprisoned falsely. False accusers came. He was dead. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. He was positioned next to sovereignty. Where is Jesus today? But seated at the right hand of the Father. Again, Pharaoh says to Joseph, hey, there is no one greater than you except for me. But then now Jesus comes up and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Not because he's second in hierarchy. He is God himself. So again, we look at the billboards, we look at the sign, Joseph is hitting all the markers, and yet Jesus, as he matches Joseph, is so much greater. Now, at risk of being sacrilegious, uh, work with me here, and please recognize the analogy falls very infinitely short, but imagine, why is Bucky's so great? Why do we recognize Bucky's as that final destination? Because Bucky's is so much greater than the signs that pointed us there. If Bucky's in and of itself was just a sign, we wouldn't stop. We would keep on going. In this case, forgive me for this, and I hate the fact that this is being recorded, but Jesus is our Bucky's. And yes, I compare Jesus to a great gas station, but I think it works for us because we are finite creatures. Jesus offers complete forgiveness. Jesus brings us not only into his kingdom, but he offers a kingdom that transcends temporary earth. And he welcomes us into his family. And wouldn't you know it, man, this is just God showing off. We are told that when Jesus began his ministry, guess how old he was? Right around 30 years old. When he began inviting people to experience the kingdom of God, he was around 30 years old, the same age that Joseph was when he invited his family right around that time period into his kingdom. When Joseph rose to power, and most importantly, we all know John 3.16, and if you don't, that's okay. I would encourage you to look it up. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Jesus saves the world, should we accept. 
Knowledge of Scripture allows us to see what we're looking for, allows us to see where we're headed. Knowledge of Scripture allows us to start gravitating to the billboards and the signs in the same way that I see the first billboard on the interstate and it says, come to Bucky's." And I'm like, what's Bucky's?" And I see it again 10 miles later. I'm like, ooh, interesting. Then I see the third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth time. I'm like, I'm going to Bucky's." All of a sudden, the Jews are reading their Old Testament, what they consider the Bible at that point in time, equivalent to our Bible, and they know all of these stories. And now the author of Hebrews, who is writing to the Hebrews, the Jews, the Israelites, he's saying, don't you see? All the billboards are before you. They're behind you. Look around. Jesus not only matches them all, he is greater than them all. And so today, for you and I, in this second season of Advent, this second turn of Advent, as we anticipate and look forward to Jesus' second coming, we then have hope, and we get to rejoice in the everlasting spark of hope. It's not just a billboard. We get to sit and rest. There is no waiting at Bucky's. There is no waiting on Jesus. Everything we could ever hope for is provided for by Jesus. Knowledge of Scripture, but knowledge of Jesus makes us closer. We must look to see the story of Jesus. We so often say we claim that Jesus, he died on the cross. Yes and amen. He did die on the cross for you and for me, but there is something so much more in store. We must know the story of Jesus just as knowing the story of Scripture. But this isn't the end. Just because we know Scripture, just because we know Jesus, doesn't mean that we've come to our final destination. We know what to look for. We know what we're aiming for. But there's still more to be had. The one piece of Scripture I want to draw up today. Genesis chapter 42, verse 38. Now, at this point in time in this story, Joseph's ten older brothers had already gone to Egypt, and they've come back. But Joseph wanting them to come back. He hasn't revealed himself to the brothers yet. They didn't recognize him. He made a way so that they would have to come back to him. And by doing so, they would have to bring their youngest brother, Benjamin. And so as they get back, they then tell Jacob, the father of this plan. And look what Jacob's response is. But he said, Jacob, my son, referring to Benjamin, the youngest of the young, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother, Joseph, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to show. See, the brothers, they told Jacob this plan. Hey, look, we need to go back. We need to go get more food. But the only way that we're going to get more food is if we bring Benjamin. Benjamin is the youngest son. He was the second son of the favorite wife, Rachel. And Jacob's like, no way. I've already lost one son. Rachel, at this point in time, she passed during, while giving birth to Benjamin. He's like, there is no way I'm losing Benjamin. And he clings and he hangs on. And if we would continue reading, we recognize that it's a time. The famine continues. The drought continues. They are out of resources, and the brothers are pleading, let us take Benjamin. This is the only way. And Jacob says, just go to Egypt. And like, we're not going to Egypt unless we have Benjamin. And finally, finally, Jacob 
gives in. What's interesting about this is us as the readers, imagine you and I are in the third person. We know that Joseph is the ruler. We know that if Jacob would simply give over Benjamin, we know Joseph is going to provide more ways than they could possibly imagine. And us as the readers, we're just looking, Jacob, come on, man. Provision, salvation, it's going to be offered to you. Just let go of Benjamin. And Jacob's like, there is no way. I've been burned in the past. I've lost too much. And to give over Benjamin is to give over all of my control. I have to maintain control over something. What's interesting is that Jacob's been walking with the Lord for years. He's been faithful to the Lord for years. And in this moment, we see this one aspect where Jacob does not trust. He says, look, I've been hurt. I need to maintain this control over my life. And he claims that it, he doesn't want Benjamin to die. But what he doesn't recognize, or maybe he does, but his family's looking at, look, if he really cared for Benjamin, he would allow Benjamin to go to get resources. But he's hanging on to Benjamin in the words of saving Benjamin. But meanwhile, he's killing Benjamin. By holding on to Benjamin, by not letting go of control of Benjamin over this one aspect, this precious aspect of his life, he is killing actually his entire family, preventing them from experiencing salvation that would come from the dead son, Joseph. And we as the readers were pleading with Jacob, Jacob, just let him go. Give over control, man. Don't be a fool. Your only way of being saved is by letting go of this area of your life. You see, for us, we, we know the story of Joseph. It's easy for us to say, Jacob, come on, man, let go. Just let it go. Let him go. And today we've determined that Jesus is the fulfillment of all things for Joseph. Today we've determined that Jesus is so much greater than Joseph, and if Joseph was going to provide salvation and provision for his father who was hanging on to control, how much more so are the angels in heaven pleading for God's creation to simply let go to experience what Jesus would have for them? We sit here and we look at the words of Jacob and saying, man, come on, you're going to die Anyways, would you just let go and experience provision that Joseph has for you? And God in heaven is looking at his creation and saying, it is the same way with my son, Jesus. Would you simply let go? To experience the salvation and provision and rest and everlasting hope of knowing me but it requires us to let go of control. It requires us to let go of everything that we hold precious so that we might experience everything that God holds precious. It doesn't mean our life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that it's going to be everything we ever hoped for. The famine was still real. Jacob eventually let Benjamin go, and eventually him and his family would go down to Egypt, and they experienced this entirely new kingdom, this fresh start with all the provision they would need, but they still had to live in the famine. God is saying to us right now, can you find your rest and your hope in the person of my son, Jesus Christ? doesn't mean that the famine's going to end. It just means that you're going to be provided for in this time. 
that you're going to find a place where you can place your everlasting hope to get to know me to the fullest. There are things in our life, even for us as Christians, Jacob had been walking with the Lord for years, and so for us as Christians, this isn't just for the person who is unbelieving. There are things in our life as Christians that we cling to, that we desperately hope for, that we strive after, that we maintain control over because we think that we can't lose one more thing. My challenge to each and every one of us this week is reflecting what is that thing? What is our Benjamin? Maybe it's security of some sort. Social security, um, financial security, uh, health security. Maybe we're just looking for success. Maybe we're just looking for a reputation. Maybe we're just looking for something to go right. Maybe we're hanging on to something from our past. Because if we know that if we let go of it, we're going to be proven wrong. We're going to be proven, hey, this actually wasn't the best path for you. We're hanging, clinging on, hoping that everything is going to go right. But meanwhile, we're in the midst of doing that. We, we, we prevent our family, we prevent ourselves from experiencing all that the Lord would have for us. Yes, yeah, you may be walking with the Lord for years and years and years. That does not mean that you're not withholding back from God. In the same way that Jacob was holding Benjamin. You see, we have knowledge of Scripture and knowledge of Jesus, yes and amen, but we must have a knowledge of ourselves. So often we can go through life passively, not actually thinking about ourselves and that what we might be holding back from our God, but when we have knowledge of ourselves, it then shows us where we are at. So many of us are sitting at the exit sign saying, exit here for Bucky's, but we're so scared of getting off the interstate. We're so scared that we're going to lose progress. We're so scared that something's going to happen the minute we give up control of this particular aspect of our lives. And we never truly experience all in with Jesus. Knowledge of Scripture Knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of ourselves. And I'm going to ask Sarah to come play us out as we begin reflecting on what this means for us. You see, Jesus, we've already proven. Jesus has already proven that he is the match and so much more than the match of Joseph. But knowledge of Scripture, knowledge of Jesus, and knowledge of ourselves, it does not prove that we have matched our final destination. We are told that when we reach our final destination in Jesus Christ, we cannot help but become signs for Jesus Christ. That we can't help but become walking billboards for Jesus Christ. If we're thinking about this for one second, Jacob had been walking with the Lord. He'd been blessed by the Lord. He'd been given so much by the Lord. But in this moment, when this one thing was asked of him to give up the thing most precious to him, he was unwilling to do it. And in doing so, he prevented his family from experiencing salvation. In this moment, he was not a sign for God. He was not a billboard pointing forward to Christ. But let's think about Joseph then. Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery. Joseph, who was then falsely accused of something so incredibly evil and then sent down into prison. At every turn, he was a walking billboard for Christ, for God. How could I bring shame unto my God, he says. Joseph, in every turn of events, continued to say, this is God, and I will live my life for him. Friends, today I would ask you, 
Are you a billboard for Jesus Christ? And you can begin answering that question. You can begin looking at the events of your life, the events of this week. Where, in fact, do you react the sharpest? What is that one thing that if at the thought of losing it, what is that one thing that when something happens, maybe, for instance, um, I just saw someone, uh, I think it was maybe a, a child or a teenager, they, they ran into a, a trash can with the car, and I watched the father blow up. Now, I'm not saying that's not a bad thing, but think about it. Where we act and react sharpest, that's a pretty good indication of what we have not given over to the Lord. When we hold something so precious that we blow up on an innocent person for doing an innocent mistake, all of a sudden we have to analyze and reflect on ourselves. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, have, I, have I given this over to the Lord today? When we think about our lives, what are we holding on to, not letting go of, a way of living our past? Are we thinking about the ways we used to do things and we refuse to change the way we did things because that is the way all things must be done? And we keep these things to ourselves. Meanwhile, God up in heaven and the angels watching as if it's a movie screen saying, come on, man, you got to give it up. They're on the edge of the seats eating their popcorn saying, come on, you got to give it up. Because all the while you are maintaining this control, doing it for the protection of your family supposedly, but meanwhile your family is not seeing God in you. And for those of you who maybe are sitting here and you're like, man, I've never experienced the final destination of Jesus, this everlasting spark of hope that you're talking about, friends, <laughs> consider this your sign that God is chasing after you and that he wants you to experience and know him. You want a sign? This is it. I don't know how much more clear we can get. You're in this building. You got a guy telling you God wants you to know him. I don't know what you want. This is your sign. This is your sign to let go in this second season of Advent. I'd ask you all to, to bow your heads, close your eyes. And just for a brief moment, just for a brief moment, would you just reflect would you reflect on what you are still holding back from God? Father, we love you and we praise you. God, we ask that you would go before us as we continue into this Advent season. God, would you give us the courage to give up? That is what's most precious to us. God, would you help us to see everything that you have allowed Jesus to match as the ultimate destination of getting to know you and you alone. God, go before us and may all things be held together in you always. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you stand with me as we close in our benediction, declaring everything that Jesus is. Would you read along with me? He is the one through whom the whole universe was created. He is the radiance of God's glory 
He is the upholder of all things by the word of his power. He is our access to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let go, be free, and experience the provision of our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.